the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. So, uh, we are going to go into uh, Matthew 24. And uh, just to give us a context of where we've been uh, in the study, uh, Jesus has come, he's taught, he's healed, he's sent out the disciples, and now he's on a mission. He's come into Jerusalem, uh, and now he's teaching, and then uh, he's going by the temple, and he has this teaching, which is a phenomenal teaching. Uh, and then pretty soon, by the end of the week, by Thursday of this week, he'll be dead, and by Friday, he'll rose, rise again. So we are we're rapidly coming to the close of Matthew, uh, and then we'll go on to something else. We'll talk about that this week. Um, so that's kind of where we are, but then Jesus has this discourse. It's, called, it's like the last discourse in Matthew of Jesus. And uh, so we are going to go into Matthew 24, and I think what I'd like to do, uh, this may, may find strange to you, but we are going to basically read the whole entire chapter, and then we're going to come back with some thoughts, and then we're going to come back with some theology, and then we'll watch the fireworks, okay? <laughs> All right, so... Um, so join me as we read Matthew 24, and we're going to start in verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things? He asked. Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to the persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will go, grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination of the cause, causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetops go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. 
See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the wilderness, do not go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near and right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the floods came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at the time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So also you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. It goes on. (laughs) Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household, to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour when he is not aware. He will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the hypocrites where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, so um, there you have it. We read the whole entire chapter. So basically, Jesus is walking by the temple and he looks at the temple and says, not a stone will be left on this temple. Now, we do know from history that at about 70 AD, the stone of the temple, the temple was destroyed and it has not been rebuilt. If you go to Jerusalem now and you see the Wailing Wall, I have not been, but I've seen pictures of it. That is the old temple. That is the place that Jesus was looking at. And that temple was destroyed 2,000 years ago, and it has not been rebuilt again. So we do know, at least literally, when Jesus was walking by and looking at the temple, that it was destroyed and it has not been built again. 
But then Jesus uh, goes back to the Mount of Olives and his disciples come to him and said, what in the world were you talking about? And Jesus lays onto us this uh, image of end times that are horrible. It's, it's tribulation. It's, uh, it's brother against brother. I mean, it is basically an, an event. I mean, he basically talks about it, about how it's horrible it's going to be. Um, it's tribulation that we've never seen before. Uh, the abomination. The, uh, it's so bad that you should flee to the mountains. Let no housetop go and take anything of the house. Let no one in the field go back and get their plow. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. I mean, this sounds like an utter tribulation time. Uh, and so let's just now go back. And I just want to point out some of the things that Jesus says in this chapter that I think are kind of incontrovertible because he said them, right? Uh, so uh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go back to that page here. Hold on just a second. And uh, this is what Jesus says. He says, many will come claiming to be the Messiah. So he says, there'll be a tribulation and at this tribulation, many people will come and claim that they're the Messiah. Don't believe them. I am the one true Messiah. Uh, and then he says that there'll be wars and famines and earthquakes. There'll be persecution. But the kingdom will be preached to all the nations. There'll be false messiahs. But then Jesus will come again and no one knows the date or time. So those are pretty much the incontrovertible facts that come out of here, right? Uh, that after Jesus is gone, at some point there will be false messiahs, many other Messiah is coming to claim that they are Jesus, but don't believe it. The only Jesus is Jesus. There are no others. So if anybody comes and says that they are the Messiah of the Old Testament, the promised one, the fulfillment of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, the sitting on the throne of David, however you want to place it, don't believe him. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Now, I will tell you right now that based upon this, that if there are no other messiahs coming and Jesus is the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies, then Jesus is the central point of, of creation from, from the foundation of the earth, even before the foundation of the earth. Uh, God had a plan that there would be a messiah, that the messiah would come and fight and conquer death. That, that point in all of human history is the central point of all of human history. Okay, Jesus, everything points to Jesus. In the, at the beginning, before the creation, even in the Garden of Eden, everything pointed towards Jesus. Uh, even at the fall, where God promised that he would send uh, you know, redemption into the world to redeem mankind for having fallen out of of the Garden of Eden. That redemption came true in Jesus. Uh, all the Old Testament kings and prophecies and all the prophets and everything pointed to a time when there would be Jesus. And then Jesus came and brought in the ushered in a new kingdom of which we are now in that kingdom, I believe, uh, and everything now is about Jesus. And we can know that we're in the kingdom because of Jesus. So even though we're into the new world and the time when Jesus came in the new millennium, uh, 
Jesus is the central point still of that millennium. He is the king. He's sitting on the throne. We are subjects. And the kingdom has already started for the Christian church. We are in the kingdom now. That, that's what I believe. Uh, and that in, in the way I read this, because many will come claiming to be the Messiah, that we are, that Jesus is the central point of all creation from its beginning until its final termination. Jesus is the central thing. So uh, anything outside of that is interesting to look at, fun to debate, uh, interesting to, to challenge other people with different scriptural verses, but you have to get to the point in your life where you realize that Jesus is it. Jesus, as God become flesh and dwell among us, is the redemption and the central point of all human history from the beginning of the earth till when the earth goes away. Okay, that is Jesus. Uh, the other part is that there will be wars and famine. Uh, wars, famines, and earthquakes. Jesus said uh, there will be this time of trial. There will be a time of tribulation. And the question you have to answer yourself is, ask yourself is, uh, is this tribulation something that happens like after Jesus rises and we're in that point of tribulation now? Uh, is it a certain type of tribulation that's going to happen in the future? Uh, is it a tribulation that uh, gets progressively worse as the earth gets older? Uh, that's kind of counter to what we see. If you look at disease and medicine and understanding the world around us and all that sort of thing, we are, in very many, many ways, so much better off at, than at the time of Jesus. And yet, it also appears that in many, many ways that we are worse off in some areas after the time of Jesus. Um, and so uh, that, that, is, uh, that is something to consider. The third thing is this, there will be persecution. Uh, we certainly know. Now, so when were there times of persecution? Well, immediately after Jesus, right? He ascends into heaven. Uh, the, the church gathers together. The Holy Spirit comes. It comes as tongues of fire on their head. Uh, and then we know for a period of about that until uh, the time when the church of Jesus, you know, the, the church of Jesus became an official recognized religion in the Roman Empire, that 200 years, that 300 years, was a time of immense persecution of the church. And when I say immense persecution, I mean, here we are in the United States, 2020. If, if, you, if you were, a, if it would be like as if uh, somebody from the, the state of Arizona started going door to door to knock on your door and find out if you had a cross or a fish and if you did, they didn't ask any questions. They just took you out on the street and killed you. I mean, that is basically the type of persecution that existed in the first two, 300 years of the church. It was horrible, horrible persecution. Uh, and you would think that the church would have died down, right? That it would have been gone forever. But no, uh, the church grew and grew and grew. Even in the midst of persecution, the church saw some of its most amazing, amazing growth. Uh, it's been said that the blood of the martyrs, those people thrown out into the streets and killed. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the early church. I believe that. The church does best when we're under persecution, all right? So, but, so we know about that persecution. We know that different, at different times, uh, people have been persecuted both inside and outside of the church, right? 
But now here in the United States, because the United States was founded uh, with people that came over from England that were very Christian, they wanted kind of freedom of their Christian religion. And so the United States was founded very much on Christian principles. But if you look around you now, uh, the percentage of people on a Sunday morning that follow Jesus Christ or, or follow Jesus Christ in their life has been diminishing for a long time. And we are actually seeing now a time that other places around the world have seen where sometimes the Christian church can be persecuted even here in the United States. So I guess uh, when Jesus says that there will be persecution, uh, this is something that is so true and actually has happened throughout the whole entire history of the Christian church from the time of Pentecost on. There has been a time of persecution. So the question you have to ask yourself is, is there going to be even even greater persecution? Or, or is the persecution to come uh, not going to be a great persecution? And so that's a question you have to ask yourself. Uh, all right. This is another part that comes out of here, that the kingdom of God will be preached to all nations. So uh, obviously, at the, at the beginning of the Christian church, the kingdom of God was preached only to those people that were around Jerusalem and then it spread, spread to Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And we are still in the process of making it known, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God to all the earth. So we are still, we are probably, I don't know, what are we, 90% where if you want to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, you can hear about it. Um, but I do not believe, I believe it will be in my generation when the gospel of Jesus Christ will be preached to all the nations. Uh, if you look at um, uh, some of the companies out there, I believe uh, Worldview might be one, Elon Musk, Amazon, I think there's a couple of Chinese companies. I'm not exactly entirely sure of all of these, but I do know that there are companies that want to launch into space low-level satellite and the, there'll be 240 or more, you know, it might be even thousands of low-level level satellites going around the earth, bringing Wi-Fi to the whole entire earth. So right now, I am talking to you through my computer, which is on a Cox landline that goes out into the internet. Um, but, and so when I'm on my cell phone, though, my cell phone goes through a Wi-Fi, and pretty soon that's going to go to 5G, and uh, pretty soon... I will be able to take a device like my cell phone and go anywhere in the world and I will be able to have access to the internet. And not only that, uh, but with Google Translate and all the things that are on my phone, I will be able to communicate in any language to any person across the world. And I honestly believe, not only will I think that be happening in my lifetime, but I think that might happen in the next 10 to 15, maximum 20 years. So this whole idea that the kingdom of God will be preached to all the nations, I do not see as something that is uh, very, very far off into the future. Um, and then Jesus says there'll be false messiahs. He pretty much said that before. And then Jesus says that he will come again and that no one knows the date or the time. So um, it, is, uh, it is not hard to believe that Jesus' prediction about the kingdom being preached to all the nations may happen in my lifetime. Now, at some point in the future, Jesus is going to come again. And even Jesus, you know, it's all, you know, nobody knows the time or the date when this is going to happen. So we all need to be prepared for when that time happens. Okay. So 
That's basically what we know that comes out of Matthew 24. It is a statement about Jesus, about the fact that there will be tribulation after he's gone. There may be more increased tribulation. The kingdom will be preached to all the nations. There'll be false messiahs, and then he will come again. Now, the question that surrounds this whole thing is, when is the tribulation? When is the coming again? What is it all gonna look like? And um, as you can see here, Jesus gives an incredible amount of detail of all that. Uh, I mean, he, he basically laid out, he sat down with his disciples with a PowerPoint presentation. He said, this is gonna happen, and then this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen. He gave us a very detailed roadmap of all of that, right? And the answer is no, he didn't. Uh, There's some prophetic uh, stuff in Daniel. And of course, uh, the book of Revelation is often looked in a prophetic sense and other parts of scripture, including this, um, that we've tried to piece together what it's gonna look like. And for years, and when I say uh, years, the early church believed, no questions asked, there was some later on before you know the Council of Nicaea, but, but before the time uh, when the church became a recognized religion, so for the first 300 years, uh, there was absolutely no question that there was persecution. And there was deep, horrible persecution. And then at the end of that persecution, the church then became part of the Holy Roman Empire, right? It's, it became the Holy Roman Empire, right? The church and the empire became joined at the hip uh, and so there was no longer a persecution of the church. And so you might say, well, that's when this Messiah is going to come, right? But not everybody yet had heard about the kingdom preached all the name. I mean, there's, there's stuff that's happened. And so um, it, is, it is not yet, Jesus has not yet come, I guess is the bottom line. There, there have been several people claiming to be different things, but we know for a fact that the end has not come yet. Because clearly Jesus says at the very, very end uh, that all is, you know, as you can see from east to west, that every eye will see him. We all know that Jesus is coming and it will be a great big event at the end of time. Uh, and so that we're, that we're sure of, but, but it hasn't happened yet. So, so then the question is, what then are we living in? I mean, we saw the early persecution but then there has been a period of relative peace in some areas of the world for the church has gone on, particularly in England and Western culture. The church has had a favored position. Uh, then the church has gone and spread to different parts throughout the world and sometimes they're accepted, sometimes they're not. Sometimes uh, the followers of Jesus Christ are killed. Sometimes they transform whole societies. I mean, we're in this position of transition for the church. Uh, and we're even seeing places where the church has had a dominant foothold like the United States but it seems like we're going backwards. And it's like, well, my goodness, how are we gonna, <laughs> how is this gonna all happen? So those are the questions, particularly uh, after the age of the enlightenment that people started asking. And as they started asking, several people started going into scripture and re-looking at different scripture pieces, passages, trying to figure it all out. And as they did, uh, they came up with um, different theories. And I just wanna show you uh, kind of where this all started because we have kind of a dominant theory that seems to be uh, very, very pervasive here in the United States. Uh, and that's, uh, and the one that's basically in the United States is called 
um, dispensational millennialism or dispensationalism. And that all started in the 1830s with a guy named Darby, okay? Uh, what was his, um, yeah, Nelson, John Nelson Darby or something like that. Uh, in the 1830s, he started writing about the end times and putting together a system of uh, what the end times would look like. And then there was another person, I can't remember her name, um, but she had a revelation from God and she was into dispensationalism. And what does actually have a chart of dispensationalism, if I can find it right here, yeah. Uh, basically what dispensationalism is, is that there's seven different um, epochs of time about how God judges the earth. Uh, and each one of those is called a dispensation. So you see here on this, God's plan for the ages, the seven dispensations, that before the fall, you were in the age of innocence. And then between the fall and the flood, it was the age of conscience. And then you have the judges, which is the human government. And then there was the promise with the prophets and then the law and then the church. And then you can see Jesus there, but Jesus is just kind of one point, you know, in history with all these dispensations. And now we're living in the dispensation called the church. Uh, but then there's going to be this great tribulation. And then the, the seventh dispensation is when the church will be renewed at the end of time. And Jesus will sit on the throne uh, and with a new kingdom. So that is basically uh, dispensation. Well, if you add dispensation, you know, dispensation with millennialism, you get dispensational millennialism, which is dispensationalism. And as you can see, all of this pretty much is in the history of the church, right, has only been around for the last, say, 200 years. Uh, and it is, um, it is really a, a something that uh, is very, very exciting and sexy, and people just love um, spending time in what are the end times going to look like? And when are the end times? And back when I was, uh, you know, in the 70s, there was this book uh, by uh, Hal Lindsey called The Great, the Late Great Planet Earth, and it talked about uh, dispensationalism, right? And basically the basic theory of all of that is that there's going to be a time, right? Uh, probably in the near future, if you look at the world events around us, right? Because, I mean, it can't get any worse than it is. Um, There'll be a time when there'll be this thing called a rapture. And at the rapture, Christians on the earth are going to be taken. Uh, everybody that's left is going to be um, not taken. And there's going to be a period of tribulation. Uh, and then in that tribulation, there will be, because of either the power of God's spirit or because of a remnant of Christianity on the earth, or maybe it's a digital remnant of Christianity, and who knows, whatever, right? But during that time of tribulation, there will be some people that will come to faith uh, and then Jesus will come again, uh, and then he will sit on the throne, a literal throne. Uh, there'll be a thousand years of wonder, and then there'll be end of the end of the age. And this is kind of this is kind of premillennial dispensational. It's, it's, uh, dispensationalism is basically that theory, and that has gained popularity not only with late grain planet Earth, but the Left Behind series, and a lot of the American Christians, and probably Christians throughout the world. Uh, love this theology of what the end times are going to look like. But it's not the only theology out there. Uh, like I said, Jesus didn't necessarily give a real detailed roadmap. 
And so this theology, while it's interesting and it's sexy and it's kind of fun to think about, is not the only one. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are others. And so let's take a look at what the others are. On the top here of the chart, we have the first one, which is called post-tribulation premillennialism. So the one I just described is called a dispensational premillennialism or dispensationalism. That's number two on this chart. There's also a number one, which is basically that um, things will get really, really bad. So at some point uh, with our current situation on earth, uh, things will get really, really, really bad. Jesus will come again. That's the second coming. Then there'll be a period of millennium, and then there's the last judgment. That's the number one on this chart. And then there's a thing called post-millennialism, which is basically things get really, 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 really bad, and then Jesus comes as the second last judgment. Uh, and then there's a, th a fourth way of looking at things, which is called amillennialism, which is basically this whole idea of a tribulation is a kind of a symbolic and an actual tribulation, which is basically Jesus will come uh, at the end of this, so basically under this the theology number four, we are in the tribulation now. And uh, it's not necessarily going to get any worse or any better. Uh, it's just tribulation. But at some point, uh, Jesus is going to say it's done, it's time, and he's going to come again uh, with the second coming and the last judgment. So as you can see, there's four different ways of looking uh, at this whole idea of the end times. And on this chart, I just want to point out that up until about 200 years ago, the church pretty much thought about the world as number four here, that there's going to be tribulation, not only in the world, but as the church. Uh, but but uh, there, was no, there was no second coming of Christ and then the millennium and all that. All these other ones are more recent developments in the history of church. But for the vast majority of the church history, it has been we're living in the millennium and then Jesus is going to come again. And when he comes again, the trumpet will sound, the dead will rise. Uh, we will rise up to meet Jesus Christ. This whole rapture, it could be considered we're rising up to meet Jesus in the air uh, and he will uh, judge the earth and then there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll be at the end of time. Uh, so those are the four different views of, of the millennialism, right? There's, there's the really kind of popular second uh, dispensational millennialism and dispensationalism. There's these other two that aren't as popular. And then there's the kind of the historic one. Uh, and the question you have to ask yourself is, which one is it? And uh, there is no uh, answer in the back of my Bible that says, oh, by the way, it's answer number four or it's answer number three. And like I said, going into this, you're going to find people that vehemently believe each one of these things, and it should not be something that divides the church. But I know you're asking, what do I believe? And I got how much? Oh, it's, we've run out of time. I can't tell you. All right. No, I'll give you just a few, a few pointers here on what, I, what I'm thinking about. All right. So uh, here's, here's what I would call as my observations. Okay. First of all, the church and the continuation of Israel. Um. Under, under dispensationalism, Israel has a special spot because uh, is, that Jesus isn't the fulfillment of the Old Testament church. 
so you have the Old Testament church going on and the New Testament church, and at some point they come together uh, that God still has a special hand in the Old Testament church. Uh, and, and so uh, Jesus being the central point of history, he is, but there's still two paths going on, and that may come together in the millennium. Now, I don't agree with that. I believe with my whole heart that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament uh, church. That when, when the Old Testament church, when the Old Testament was talking about the coming Messiah, I believe that was Jesus. And when it talked about sitting, Jesus sitting on David's throne, I believe it's a whole different kingdom. I, I don't believe it's a political or earthly kingdom. I believe it's a kingdom within our heart that we live in right now. It's the kingdom of God of which you and I are a part of. And Jesus is sitting on his throne and we're in that kingdom now. We happen to be in an overlap, right? So we're also in an earthly kingdom, but we're also in a heavenly kingdom. So we happen to be living in that period of time where there's an overlap between two kingdoms. But I'm okay with that because I don't really care about today's present earthly kingdom as far as my own salvation goes or as far as you know my life goes because I'm firmly ensconced in a kingdom that will never fade away and that's called the kingdom of Jesus Christ of which I am in, right? Uh, so that's the other political, the other observation about this is the difference between a kingdom, the earthly kingdom or political kingdom. I happen to be living in both right now. Jesus said, render Caesar what's Caesar's, render, render to God what is God's. I'm living in both kingdoms and I'm rendering to my government the things that need to be rendered there, but I'm giving my heart, my soul, and my passion and my life to this new kingdom, which is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Um, let's see. Another observation is Jesus says there will be even worse tribulation. Um, so the question is, are we seeing more tribulation now than we've ever seen? Uh, and I find it hard to believe that it could be any worse than it was in the first two or 300 years of the church. When uh, they came into your house and they killed Christians left and right. They put them in the, uh, you know, in the gladiators and threw them in the, you know, with the lions and all that sort of thing. Uh, that had to have been worse than it is today right now. I just, I just don't see my life ever being that worse. But I also believe, uh, if you've been following me, that um, if you remember on an earthly kingdom, that power attracts power and wealth attracts wealth. And uh, we've seen different government forms try to slow that down, try to pivot away from that. But I do believe, as much as I believe that the universe was created and expanded and God created it, but it might at some point come to itself as one single ball of energy, um, this is, I'm not, I don't think this is making much sense, and I apologize for this, but I guess what I'm saying is I do not, I, I see a potential because power and wealth attract power and wealth, that they, all the wealth and the power of the whole entire world might very well coalesce around one single entity. Maybe that entity is Amazon, or maybe that entity is Apple, or maybe that entity is Amazon, Apple, United States. I don't know. <laughs> But I do see the potential because power always attracts wealth and power that it's all going to get attracted out of one entity. And that I guarantee you that entity will not be the Christian church on earth. That entity will be the power of the earthly kingdom, the rendering to Caesar power. Uh, and if you are not subservient to that power, when that time happens, uh, I could see even greater persecution.
so I, I do believe that there is going to be a greater persecution as we get closer and closer to the time when Jesus uh, calls us home, creates a new heaven, a new earth. Um, but the, the other thing I just want to point out here is that the one thing I see about this is that if you're in the earthly kingdom and in that, if there is, if the kingdom of uh, heaven, if the kingdom of earth is all there is and you're not in the kingdom of heaven right now, that's something that's going to happen in the future, uh, then you're not in the kingdom. And if you're not in the kingdom of God now, then then there is no true joy in your life right now. You're always you're always waiting for something in the future to find joy. You're waiting for Jesus to come again to create the new heaven and new earth because then you will truly find joy. And I firmly do not believe that. I personally believe that I have incredible joy in my life right now, even in the midst of trials, tribulations, earthquake, famine, or whatever. Why is that? Because I firmly believe for me right now that I am in the kingdom of God, that God has brought and bought and purchased me. I'm firmly ensconced in the kingdom. And because I am now in the kingdom, I get all the rights and the privileges and the joys of being in the kingdom. I get the power of God, I get the honor of God, and I get the forgiveness of God. All of that is in me right now because I'm in the kingdom. And because God created many, many beautiful parts of this earth, I find the joy and the beauty of living even in this present life in those little points, those little times where I see God's amazing grace and beauty and joy in this world. And I truly live in the kingdom now. It's not something I think it's going to necessarily be in the future. Uh, it will come in the future and the, earth, the earthly kingdom is going to go away, but I'm going to continue on in the heavenly kingdom. That I firmly believe. And so uh, I may have shown my hand here, but I believe... I'm not necessarily a premillennial dispensationalist. Um, I have nothing wrong with it. And I love talking about it, and I'm not going to, you know, die over it. Uh, you know, if, if someone came and convinced me with something that I just was incontrovertible, you know, I'd be open to different look at different interpretations. <clears throat> but for me in my life, I truly believe that I am just in the period of time that overlaps the earthly kingdom with the heavenly kingdom. And yeah, there's tribulation. And there always has been tribulation, always will be tribulation, but the tribulation doesn't impact me because I'm in the kingdom and you're in the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is powerful and more powerful than any earthly kingdom. And I'm already in that kingdom. Uh, and so that's what I believe. And um, it's a hotly debated topic. It is something that, uh, you know, the people... <laughs> That they get a you know get really angry and irritated over. Uh, there are even some denominations that say if you do not believe in the millennium in a certain way, you are not saved. I don't believe that because I don't believe that your salvation is necessary on what your interpretation of Scripture. I believe your salvation is dependent upon the love and the grace of Jesus Christ because we all are are fallible human beings. And we all are going to interpret different parts of Scripture incorrectly. Scripture is perfect, but our interpretation always is a human interpretation. So therefore, we sin in our interpretation of Scripture. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So in the midst of our sin, we can never do anything perfectly. And that's why we need Jesus. 
That's why we need Jesus to come into our life and redeem us and make us perfect subjects of his kingdom uh, so that even though we argue and get, you know, debates about this stuff, uh, our, our eternal salvation is secure because of Jesus and not necessarily because of our interpretation, whether or not it's good or bad or perfect or near perfect or whether, whatever. So if anybody tells you 